0: Today we are behind enemy lines. We're talking the gophers first opponent, the Nebraska Corn Huskers. Oh yeah, and it's every day. Hey, you no are Locked happens, On Golden Gophers. No matter what we're gonna do here. We're just gonna keep rowing. Your daily podcast on the Minnesota Whatever Golden turns out, Gophers. It turns out, we're just gonna keep rolling. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. We're just gonna keep rowing, keep rowing, and keep rowing. You're listening to Locked On Golden Gophers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name's Kane Robb, host of the podcast, former collegiate football video coordinator and recruiting assistant here to talk Golden Gophers with you each and every day of the week. That's right, folks. We are back Monday through Friday. Gophers talk each and every single day. And today we're kicking off a new series called Behind Enemy Lines. Each day of the podcast, we are covering one of the golfers' football opponents. Up until we're done. So 12, the next 12 shows we'll be talking Gophers opponents and we're going by order of the schedule. So today we kick it off with Nebraska. We'll talk about changes that the team has seen in coaching and players. Then we'll talk about potential strengths and weaknesses as well. But first, before we get to that, I want to cover breaking news with the Gophers when it comes to the latest updates. We did have a little bit over the weekend, the first being Jacob Schuster hit the transfer portal. That's another goal for hitting the portal from last year to this year. There's been quite a lot of change, but when you look at the overall picture, a lot of that change, a lot of the hitting of the portal has been due to lack of playing time, lack of opportunity there, and Jacob Schuster kind of falls into that category, hasn't really seen any game action, came in as a four-star player, and you know, there's been flashes in the spring, for sure, there were flashes in fall camp, for sure, where he was starting to work his way maybe into the rotation, but not to the capacity where he actually ended up getting a good amount of game time. So it's not super surprising to see him hit that best of luck to him on his journey. But like we always say, you want volunteers, not hostages. Mike Tomlin always threw that out. So if he feels like he can get a better opportunity elsewhere, well then best of luck to him. It was a really late stage transfer. So I believe he won't be able to play until next season, maybe still I'm not fully sure on that because everybody gets that one-time transfer still, and this is his one time. So I'll have to look into that one, but best of luck to him. It looks like he's considering a Pac-12 school at Oregon State, but we'll see what happens. Then we move on to a little bit more breaking news before we get to the focus of the Nebraska Cornhuskers and the enemy lines, getting behind the enemy lines. But first, Ethan kallik Manis, the hype is growing with Ethan. I'm hearing his name a lot more around uh, fans all across, people who are just now getting ready for football season because it will be here before we know it. I believe we are 33 days away Folks, that is nothing compared to what we've been through so far, and if you've been locked in and locked on each and every day of the week, you know that it's, it's, you can almost taste it. It's right there. So the season is coming, and Ethan calliak Manis's hype is growing a little bit within the Gophers nation, but outside of it, I still think he gets a little bit of uh, disrespect, maybe. It's hard to say disrespect because he hasn't played a ton yet, but I think there's a lot of talent there, a lot of Good clay, as some coaches would say, that can really be shaped and formed well. And I think he's going to have a great season this year. But he was out at the Twins game yesterday throwing the first pitch. Kind of cool, getting the the fans introduced to him and maybe riled up, ready to go to Huntington Bank and t- show out for the Nebraska Cornhuskers game. So, 8th hype type is growing throughout that first pitch, which was pretty cool. And then the last thing I want to talk about with the Gophers before we dive into their opponent is Big Ten Media Days. Hest comes up this week on the 26th and 27th. That's Wednesday and Thursday of this week. The Gophers won't really be featured until the Thursday day. Coach Fleck will be there along with Brevin Spanford, Chris Amon-Bell, and Tyler Newbin. So we'll have some more updates for you on that show on Friday as well to give you some of the coverage. I know our guy Ryan Burns will be out there. So if you want the coverage at the moment in the time, definitely give him a follow. You probably already do. If you don't, come on, folks. He's like one of the best, if not the best, in Gophers coverage right now. So definitely go give some love over his way. But let's get to it. The the moment of the day. This first segment was shorter, keeping you up to date with the breaking news. But we're going to get over to Nebraska, our first opponent. And that's coming up next. But first, I want to bring you a word from our friends over at eBay Motors. They're keeping your vehicle uh in sync and rowing and rowing just like the gophers for a championship team it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit and it's the same for your vehicle when it comes to the parts every part has to fit just right so the next time you need parts or accessories head on over to ebay motors ebay motors has a guaranteed fit That you can be sure every part will fit your vehicle the first time around or your money back all you have to do is add your ride to your garage and look for the green check to make sure that the part will fit and if it doesn't you'll get your money back so definitely head on over there they have over 122 million parts to choose from and you'll be back in the game in no time get the right parts the right fit and the right prices over at ebaymotors.com eBay Guaranteed Fit is only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusion Supply. All right, Gophers fans, we're hopping in. And if some Nebraska fans are jumping in as well, look, none of this is meant as disrespect, but we're going to break it down. Catching up with the Nebraska Cornhusker changes this offseason. We'll start with the transfers because they had a lot of Potential quality transfers in. They had a lot of guys coming from Power 5 programs into their program. New head coach, new OC, and new defensive coordinator as well. A lot of changes with the Huskers. Uh, Tyler Knack, the first guy I'm going to talk about, the offensive tackle. He's coming in from Utah. He's a nice, for 2023, we'll look at their outlooks for that. I'm not going to go, oh, what they'll be for the rest of their careers, because who knows? There's a lot of up in the air there, but Tyler Knack, out of Utah, transferred into uh, Nebraska. He only he was a freshman last year. I believe he redshirted, but he's a nice depth player for Nebraska. I don't think he's going to be a starter right now, but maybe in the future. Jacob Hood is the next guy I want to talk about. He's an offensive tackle from Georgia. We're going to dive into him a bit more later. He could be a possible starter. In the spring game, he played with the twos, but I would not be surprised if when it's all said and done, by the time we hit week five, week six, if this dude is starting at the right tackle position for the Nebraska Huskers, then you move on to Eric Gilbert. That's a big name. A lot of people know him. They know when he showed out at LSU, but then didn't really get opportunities or shine at Georgia due to different situations. Well, he is trying to play for the Nebraska Huskers this upcoming season, but is he eligible? That is the first question. Just like the Gophers need to find out if, Craig McDonald is eligible, we still need to know if uh, Eric Gilbert is going to get the all clear to play the season. If he is not, then they will likely uh, just prep him for the NFL draft and he'll probably head out the season. So will he actually play a game for the Huskers is a big question this year. Comes from Georgia. That's two Georgia guys in a row. We'll make it three with MJ Sherman. So that's right. The Georgia Bulldogs are heading to Nebraska. You got three different guys heading over. We know Georgia has a ton of talent. These guys were all on a roster that won at least one championship, but some of them were on a roster that was on two championship teams. So they've got a lot of talent in there, but they weren't able to get into those starter minutes, but that doesn't mean they're bad. And that's the biggest thing. Maybe they just needed opportunity. So MJ Sherman is an edge linebacker type player for Georgia or for Nebraska this upcoming season. He's likely going to be a starter. So that's one huge impact player right away. Then they bring in another potential starter at wide receiver in Billy Kemp. He is one of their leading receivers over the past few years now. He also had over thousand yards this past year. Billy Kemp uh, will be a starter for Nebraska, likely. He'll play wide receiver. They'll put him in the backfield at times. He'll play returner as far as kick returning it goes as well. Very versatile. I think he'll be heavily involved in this Nebraska offense. You've got Jeff Sims, one of the bigger transfers for Nebraska coming into the year. He's going to be their starting quarterback. We're going to talk about him a lot, so I'm going to move on because we got a lot to talk about with Jeff Sims. But Josh Fleeks, another wide receiver coming from Baylor. And, um, some opportunity there. Corey Collier from Florida. He's a cornerback safety who will likely be a starter, especially with their defensive system change that is coming. Chief Borders, another player from Florida, a linebacker who transferred in. Elijah Judy from Texas A&M, defensive lineman. He can play inside or outside, and he's likely going to be a starter in this defense And then you've got Ben Scott from Arizona State. He is going to play center for the Huskers, and he will likely be a starter as well. So when you're looking at all of those transfers in, that's like 11 or 12 that I just named. And I probably didn't cover every single transfer that came in. But a lot of those guys, everyone I just named there was Power 5. You've got Utah, Georgia, 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 uh, Virginia, Georgia Tech, Baylor, Florida, Florida, Texas A&M, Arizona State. A lot of big time power five players that maybe either didn't get enough opportunities and are coming in or they wanted to come to a better opportunity like Arizona State's Ben Scott coming into Nebraska. So lots of changes there. But with those changes, you have the biggest changes of the program at the coaching positions matt rule head coach his offense has been predicated on athleticism and speed and when you look at those transfers in when you look at all of those guys coming in what you can see is they are athletic as all get out and a lot of them bring some speed to it as well he has more talent in place in this year one than he had at baylor or at temple so i wouldn't rule out rule out whoops I wouldn't do that with uh coach rule when it comes to Nebraska and thinking that they can't have some success this year now I'm not saying they're going to go out and win the division I'm not saying they're going to go out and win eight plus games but could they break the bowl game streak? They haven't been to a bowl game since 2016, and I think it's possible. They could get to six or seven wins, and that would be a nice step in the right direction. I think Huskers fans would welcome being back to the bowl game and seeing the progress right from the jump. But if, if he continues on his trajectory that he's been on at other programs, then year one could be a struggle. It could be a 3-4 win season. Temple, I uh, believe, won one game in their first year. Baylor won like two or something like that. I can't remember off the top of my head. Both the first years for Rule in this programs so wasn't very good, but then he made significant jumps in years two and three. That could happen here with Nebraska, but like I said, I think the starting point, the athletes that he has in the building, the fan base uh, behind him, I think that he's set up for more success in year one. Now, when we look at his time with Temple, he was more power run focused. He was more two tight end sets. I expect we're going to see heavy elements of that in this Big Ten stint early, not just because that Screams Big Ten football, but also because Marcus Satterfield was with him at Temple, the new OC that is here with Nebraska. Well, he was there with him at Temple as well. And that is more of the style of play that they ran. Again, a lot of two tight end sets, a lot of power run game. I think we'll see a lot of that this upcoming season, especially maybe earlier on as people are getting their feet wet, as chemistry is still building, as they're starting to figure out the new system. You might see more power run elements, but When he goes over to Baylor and he has a different scheme over there because the Big 12 was much different than what he was seeing with Temple, he was more pass-heavy. He was more RPO-based, run-pass option, and having that, that choice, the quicker decisions, but getting the ball in the air, that's what we saw a lot more of with Baylor. Now, with Sims at quarterback and two capable running backs in Anthony Grant and Gabe Irvin Jr., I think we could also see some heavy elements of that RPO incorporated as well. So what you're really going to probably see with Matt Rule and the Huskers is that you're going to see elements of both of his times in Baylor and Temple kind of converging together and taking the best of both worlds approach there. Now, overall, I would expect, like I said, that They would take both of these, not only because that Temple style works for what the Big Ten has been, but the Big Ten seems like it is starting to kind of have an identity change partially with new types of offenses coming in and USC heavily passing. We've already know Ohio State passes the ball a ton. It looks like Wisconsin's going to get to passing the ball a lot more. So I think we're seeing a partial identity change and Nebraska could be fit for both of those either way this thing goes. Now, speaking of Marcus Satterfield, he's the new offensive coordinator. He was the offensive coordinator with Rule at Temple, like I said, but he also spent last season with the uh, South Carolina Gamecocks, with Shane Beamer, with Spencer Rattler. And so I think that could help with Jeff Sims' growth. I think he could work really well and learn a lot from his last in at Georgia Tech to here, working with Marcus Satterfield satterfield if anybody can try to bring out the best in jeff sims it will be satterfield we saw flashes from Rattler at the end of the year last year. If he can do the same type of thing with Sims, but maybe earlier on, that would go a long way for the Cornhuskers. And then finally, we're talking about the defensive coordinator and associate head coach in Tony White. He is going to be the lead on defense. Of course, he's bringing in that new system for Nebraska in the three-three-five system, which means three defensive linemen three linebackers, and then five defensive backs on the field. That's typically how that defense will start to look. What you need to be successful in that defense is you need a lot of athleticism, you need a lot of speed, and you need a lot of versatility. Well, that is exactly how Matt Rule likes to build his program. So in the long scheme of things, they could find some success there. But will it happen in year one? Will they have the right talent in there from the jump with all the changes to make it happen and make some noise? That's one of the biggest questions for the Cornhuskers in this 2023 season. Now, Tony White was at Syracuse prior to Nebraska. The Gophers played them last year in the bowl game, if you'll remember. He had a real nice start last year, especially on the defensive front. They were one of the best defenses in the country to start off the year. Now, they struggled in the back half, but. He played three Big Ten schools in his time with Syracuse as their defensive coordinator. In that time, he went one and two against those Big Ten schools. The first one being Rutgers in 2021, where they lost 17-7. to Rutgers absolutely pounded the rock on the ground with 42 rushing attempts, and they were running all over that Syracuse defense. Then you go to the Purdue game, where Purdue threw the ball, I believe, 52 times against Syracuse last season. Purdue ended up losing that game down to the wire at the end, lost it with seven seconds left to go with a game-winning field goal by Syracuse. But Purdue was really in that fight. Uh, It was a scrappy game. The defense was holding in, but they gave up 29 points. And then you look at the Gophers game. Now the Gophers game, both teams were missing some key players. The, The Syracuse team was missing their best running back. The Gophers played Mo for maybe the first, Series because they let Mo get that touchdown and break the official record, and then he was on ice from the rest of the time. John Michael Schmitz was out. Many key senior players and older players were out in that game. We saw a lot of Gopher Gophers youth in there, and the Gophers were leading that one pretty convincingly for most of the game. Then Syracuse started to come back throwing their way into the game towards the later half. But the Gophers won 28 to 20 in that one. So against the three Big Ten teams. The defense gave up 17 points against Rutgers, 29 points against Purdue, and then 21 of the 28 points against Minnesota as Minnesota had a return uh, interception return touchdown in that game as well. So there could be some success with this 3-3-5 system, but will it work in the Big Ten? That's one of the bigger questions. They're not the only team doing it. Wisconsin is doing it as well. So it could be surprising. There could be some surprises with this Nebraska defense, but I think it could take time. I don't know how 2023 is going to look for them. Now, when we're looking at the starters on offense, if I had to project it out right now, Sims is your quarterback. We already kind of know that. Running back, I think they'll involve both Anthony Grant, who was a big-time running back for the Huskers last year, and Gabe Irvin both had 70-plus grades on PFF, which is promising. Uh, Then you've got a wide receiver room that has a lot of potential talent in it, but will that talent turn to production on the field? You've got Xavier Betts. You've got uh, Billy Kemp, who we talked about. You've got Marcus Washington, who transferred him from Texas two, or a year ago. So not this year, but the year before. And so he'll get his kind of first time to shine this upcoming season. Uh, those three are probably your first three starters when it comes to the wide receiver room. But then you've got the depth of the true freshman Malachi Coleman. Will he redshirt, or will his talent be able to kind of Get him onto the field in some positions. He's got some nasty speed. He is already built as a true freshman. So Malachi Coleman is definitely a guy I like for the Huskers moving forward. And then you've got the transfer in from Baylor as well at Josh Fleeks. That's five capable wide receivers at the very least. You move on to the starting line, and this is where things get interesting for me. So they have four players returning who have started, but not necessarily thrived. You've got Turner Uh, I'm going to butcher these last names. So just if you're a Huskers fan, bear with me, but you got Turner Corcoran. Uh, He does the left tackle. He played 720 plus snaps last year, but his PFF grade was a 32.7. That's brutal folks. That is absolutely devastating. And it looks like he could be in line to start at the left tackle again, this upcoming season. That isn't very promising. Then you've got Norden New, newly Again, I'm probably butchering these names, but left guard. He was out all year in 2022. He was the highest graded player of these returning guys. If you look at his 2021 year where he had a 66.8, which isn't too bad, but it isn't anything amazing either. There were some flashes in there, but it wasn't like a, a next level best of the Big Ten type of year for him. Then you go over to the transfer at center in from Arizona State. We already brought him up in Ben Scott. Now, he had a 61.6 grade over on PFF from last year, but he was also playing across multiple positions, so it's hard to get a real feel on what he will bring to the team this year. He had some moments of nice flash last year. He should start at center, and I think he could do very well for the Nebraska Huskers. Then you've got Ethan Piper at right guard. He had a 60.2 grade on PFF last season on 527 snaps. And then Bryce Benhart, he had a 60.6 grade last year on 643 snaps. I wouldn't be surprised, though, to see Jacob Hood potentially push him for some playing time or for some starting opportunities at the right tackle position. Now, Jacob Hood is the transfer from Georgia. This kid is six foot eight. 350 pounds. That's what I got from PFF's numbers. Now, if that is correct, this man is massive, just like Daniel Fa-Lele. We remember him well, and he was able to push himself onto the field relatively quickly. Now, he wasn't able to do that with Georgia, but that's understandable because Georgia already had a championship team returning. But now that he is... Moving on to Nebraska, who could use some help on the O-line, I would not be surprised to see this massive kid get some opportunity with the Huskers and could be a big-time player and a staple for them since he was a freshman last year that redshirted. So he's still got all of his eligibility, basically. That's going to be potentially a huge player for them on the offensive line that I'm very intrigued by moving forward, but maybe he doesn't start in week one when the Gophers play them. Now, quick talk on the defense before we talk about strengths and weaknesses. The defense again is switching to the 3-3-5 system. You need speed, versatility and athleticism which should work long-term, but again the biggest question is how does it work next year? They've got Gifford and Newsom back from last year's team. Both are athletic, they're plus players, very fairly versatile. And then you add in Collier from the Florida team and it gives them three solid DBs on this system that's predicated on needing five or more really talented defensive backs to really hold its own in case of injuries and things like that. So there will probably be some trial and error with filling those other DB spots, making sure that there aren't any blown coverages, making sure that they can hold their own and recover in different outside runs and whatnot. But overall, I think they're going to try to build that depth and develop that depth at the DB position. Now, even in year one, they've hit the portal for major programs for athletes, and that could come together relatively quickly in year one, or it could, ha- and it ha- could help them scrap to a six or a seven one season. We'll see if that happens, but Nebraska is not a team to sleep on. We're going to talk about the potential strengths, the potential weaknesses, and a make or break for them coming up next. All right, Gophers fans, we're wrapping up with some strengths, some weaknesses, and the biggest unknown, the make or break for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. We're going to lead off with that. The make or break for me is Jeff Sims. Now, he has all the talent in the world to be a darling, like we saw from Anthony Richardson, who ended up going in the top five in the NFL draft this last year. Now, his accuracy was pretty poor. When throwing the ball, he had a cannon for an arm, but it just didn't seem like he could get the ball to the receivers in a breadbasket when it was needed, the the big time throws like that. Now, Jeff Sims has that absolute athleticism. He has a similar upside and in intangibles, the top-notch traits that Anthony Richardson had, but I don't know. He hasn't really been able to capitalize on it. So will that happen in this upcoming season? He's got speed. He's got a big arm, but can he capitalize on it? He's, he hasn't. We've seen flashes from him, but we've seen even less flashes than what we saw from an A Rich, who again had some, some worries to him moving forward. Now, when you're looking at Jeff Sims, he never had a pass grade above a 57 on PFF on the season. And he had 10 turnover worthy plays last year to five big time throws. Now, he only played seven games, but if you take that in comparison to Tanner Morgan, who technically played eight games since he played nine games on the season, played one half in Nebraska, one half in Syracuse. So really, he played eight full games. Now, in those eight full games, one full game more than Jeff Sims, he had more big-time throws with six big-time throws as opposed to Jeff Sims' five, but he had half of the turnover really plays, and Gophers fans know that Tanner Morgan could be frustrating with some of the decisions that he made. Now, usually he was very cerebral. He made, uh, he tried to keep the ball in good position. Sometimes he wouldn't take the big shots in order to not put the ball in a dangerous territory, but there were also times where he would, and it was extremely frustrating. Or the players, uh, gophers, receivers wouldn't always fight through it, thinking of Dalen Wright, thinking of Michael Brown-Stevens, and so that would put the ball in harm's way. Well, Tanner had five turnover-worthy plays last year, Jeff Sims had 10. He doubled it. So turnover-worthy plays are a problem. And it's not just last year. It's been his whole career. He's had 38 turnover-worthy plays in his career so far to the 24 big-time throws. So he can have some issues when it comes to the chances that he takes uh, and. he He could throw a lot of turnovers. He could have a lot of opportunities where it barely shoots the team in the foot. Now, will he correct that? Will he improve on that? That's one of the biggest questions. That's why it's make or break for me with the Cornhuskers. He's also been sacked 54 times in his career. Will this Nebraska line keep him protected? We just talked about the players. They have a lot of returners, a lot of people who have played and have experience But will they keep him protected? That's the biggest part. I mean, like I said, one of those guys was graded at 32.7. That might be one of the worst starting O-line grades I've ever seen when I'm looking at these things. So it'll be a big question of can they keep him upright and keep the pressure off of him? Because when he's kept clean and not blitz, Sims has almost a 64% completion percentage, which is good. But when he's under pressure, that drops to 44%. And when he's blitzed, it drops to 50%. So when he's feeling the pressure, when he's having blitzes on him, he is not a very good passer. Can they keep him clean? Can they bring elements of the clean pocket and how well he passes the ball to when he isn't clean? To when he is getting blitzed, when he is getting pressured, can they bring that out of him? That's why he is such a big question mark for me. His average A dot uh, distance of throw is 9.4. That's pretty low overall, not that great. Uh, we want to see more downfield throws from him. But the real worry that stood out for me is that seven turnover-worthy plays last year of his 10, seven of them, happened when he was not blitzed. So it's not always because he's feeling the pressure that these turnover-worthy plays are coming. It's truly decision-making. How can he clean that up? The turnovers have gone down year over year. He started out with 13 year one, seven in year two, and three last year. But durability-wise, he's never had a full season of play. In year one, in the 2020 year, he played 10 games. And then the last two seasons, he's only played seven games, and both of those have been full season, so he hasn't been able to get the full 12. He's only played seven out of the 12 the last two seasons. Can he stay healthy? Can he cut down on the, his the poor decision-making? Now, if Nebraska can clean all of that up, the potential is absolutely there for him to be a threat, but that is a big if. Now, to close this one off, we're talking about strengths. We're talking about potential weaknesses for both of them. I'm going to run those real quick, and we're going to wrap this one up. So potential strengths, the coach with his history in turning teams around – and turning them into respectable programs is all there. So I think that is a strength for this team. People will buy in, people, uh, players will buy in, coaches will buy in, and they could see themselves turn it around relatively quickly with the building blocks they already have in place. Again, athleticism all over the field, speed all over the field, quickly developing uh, from the portal and from the recruiting. You can already see the changes on who is coming in Nebraska has never had a problem in recruiting because of the major fan base because of how football how dominant football is over there in Lincoln so overall i think that Nebraska could be in a good spot long term the biggest strength for them is that they are a threat on the air and through the air and on the ground uh the ground they have two running backs that are more than capable. They have two really good tight ends in Eric Gilbert and Thomas Fidone, who is both, or I probably said his name right. I think it's Fidone, Fidoni. rock with me. They got two tight ends that have some true talent out there, but the most lethal in year one, Seems like the, the the versatility that they have out there. They could have uh, attacks on the ground from Billy Kemp, from both running backs, from Jeff Sims on the ground. And then you've got two tight ends that can keep you in that short and intermediate passing game as well. There's a lot of different things to cover against Nebraska. So that is definite strength of theirs. Finally, we're wrapping up with the weaknesses. Can the 3-3-5 defense handle the typical ground-and-pound nature of the Big Ten? That is a big question. We saw Rutgers do well against it. We saw a Minnesota team without Mo Ibrahim do decent against it and even find some passing success in there as well. So that is a huge question. Can the O-line play elite-level football? The returners aren't extremely promising, plus many coming off of injuries – or minus years, but there are lots of potential transfers coming in. The recruiting class looks like they're starting to build something up. But in 2023, can the O-line hold its own and be elite? And then finally, the biggest question, can Jeff Sims become more productive and efficient, or will turnovers and bad decisions and incompletions continue to plague him? That's where we're at with Nebraska. That's gonna do it for us today. I'm behind enemy lines. I hope you enjoyed it. Tomorrow we are talking Eastern Michigan. I'll see you there. Row the boat, Skyuma, go Gophers, and don't forget to subscribe.